Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky i am dean linky this is the united soccer coaches podcast it is presented by league apps and dare i say we have another fantastic show might be the biggest show yet we kick off meeting eden brown Gaines. she's a lawyer she is a proud black woman She is the mother of two boys who played collegiate soccer. One just graduated from Penn State, Michael, and may soon work with me at the Big Ten Network. And one plays now at Howard for Philip Jow. Eden has ties to Lincoln Phillips, who we have had on recently. And Eden is also a proud member of the United Soccer Coaches Board of Directors. Eden is filled with light, with promise, with curiosity. And she shares that with us to kick off the show. After we visit Eden, we put the business spotlight on two of United Soccer Coaches' corporate partners, Beyond Pulse and Vio, and we do that with two of their leaders, Michael Sup from Beyond Pulse and Jono Callahan from Vio. After them, we continue to focus on API Heritage Month and the API Soccer Coaches community as their chair, Ashu Saxena, pushes forward Jeremy Tesaya and Girish Thakar. Jeremy is the Nebraska State Soccer DOC, who has a wealth of coaching experience in college and youth, continues to teach coaching education and licensing courses, and Girish is the head women's and men's soccer coach at Westminster College in Pennsylvania. That's Division III, and he just returned from the White House, where he attended the Forum on Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders. The show charges on with another one of our favorites, past president of the association and current president of the USL Super League, Amanda Vandervoort, as she stops by to update us on Tuesday's announcement from the USL about the initial group of markets that will make world-class professional women's soccer accessible for more players, more fans, and more communities across the United States. Set to kick off in August 2024, the USL Super League intends to launch as a first division league reflecting its commitment to the highest standards in American soccer and a collective vision to be a global leader in women's soccer on and off the field. Amanda Vandervoort is on the show. After Amanda, we hit the training ground with one of our faves, Tree Beckman, and we round out the show meeting another member of our 30 under 30 class, Alex Durbin. That's right, another power pack show. And it starts after this message from, of course, our power packed presenting sponsor, League Apps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. 
Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, an absolutely jam-packed show, but I continue to speak loud and proud for the Black Soccer Coaches community and for United Soccer Coaches. And boy, what a combo power we have today in Eden Brown Gaines. She's an accomplished attorney, but she's also now on the board of United Soccer Coaches. And I don't feel like enough people know that she is on the board for United Soccer Coaches. She is an attorney in Washington, D.C. with a heavy focus on business law, general consultation, local asset management. And when you go to her website, it says advocacy with integrity, which in the very short time that I met Eden Brown Gaines at the last convention, I'm telling you, she is an advocate with integrity. And now I welcome her to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, Eden Brown Gaines. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Let's start with your slogan on your website, advocacy with integrity. Sometimes words are just words. I feel like you mean it. Oh, absolutely. I hate to say this, but the legal professional isn't exactly amongst the most loved. And in some cases, that reputation has been well-earned. You know, a lot of lawyers have kind of a monopoly because people need our services in order to navigate their way through the courts, contracts, deals, all kinds of things that are a part of just America and doing business. And often we can't trust our lawyers to be honest, to look for out for our best interest, and to really, you know, just be transparent. Obviously, we're going to get paid for the services that we do, but like contributing, helping, supporting others should be our ultimate goal. So we actually advocate, but you know, the lies, the foolishness, the incivility, I'm just not a big fan of all of that. And it's so prevalent in our world. So it's important for people to know that we're going to do our job for you, but we're always going to do it with integrity. That's just how I want to live. That's all. <laughs> Perfect. I know you mean that because I was able to meet you after the Friday night awards banquet, where we had the honor award winners and the hall of fame and the coaches of the year. And I think we were more drawn to each other because I called your son, Michael, at Penn State on the Big Ten Network, where I've been from day one. But more importantly, it was great that you came up to me in what was kind of a crowded room and a whole lot going on. And my original boss, Hank Steinbrecher, was there. But I loved spending that time with you. So with that, let's kind of back up the bus. And before we get to Michael, which is awesome, and we also get to Rami, who plays for another man I admire, Philip Jow at Howard. I want to hear the Eden Brown Gaines story. Tell me where you grew up. Tell me where you went to college. Tell me when you decided you wanted to be a lawyer and tell me about your law firm now. That's a lot, Eden, but take your time. Give me your elevator speech if you can. Sure thing. So my parents are actually Midwesterners. They're um, from Indianapolis, Indiana. My mom moved there from Como, Mississippi, which is a back-to-back -to -back town that you could miss driving south on 55 when she was two years old. She lived in Detroit for a little bit with her mother's sister until her mother found work uh, in Indianapolis. And so she grew up there. My um, father hails from Mississippi and Cadiz, Kentucky. Uh, 
uh, his parents moved to Indianapolis, found each other and raised a family there. So um, both of my parents met in Indianapolis, Indiana. They ended up uh, graduating from Colorado State. My dad played uh, football there and my mom's just a genius. So she probably could have gone anywhere she wanted. And they decided that they uh, wanted to come this way. So they moved to DC and we were the only ones here. So we basically grew up in the suburbs of Washington, DC, my brother and I. So um, when I was in high school, I actually went to a specialty high school that was a science and technology program. And uh, my little, uh, I guess, major, for lack of a better word, was microbiology. So when I went to college, I thought I wanted to be a pathologist. So I applied and was accepted to a bunch of colleges, but I went to the University of Virginia to visit. And so I asked my mom after that visit if I could withdraw all of my other applications. Mm -hmm. they, including to Princeton. I was like, there's no way. So I, I ended up going to the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, becoming a Wahoo, starting to major in biology. Um, I took a class where they wanted me to do these horrible things to animals. <laughs> and, I, and I couldn't do it. I was like, oh, this is a no, this is a negative for me. Uh, so I actually withdrew from the class, like I, I, I tried to do well in school, but I actually have a W on my University of Virginia transcript, mm -hmm. because I withdrew from psychobiology, and I walked myself from the biology building all the way up grounds to the English building, because I loved uh, poetry, literature, I've been a big fan of African American literature when I was little, my mom gave me my first book from Gwendolyn Brooks, she had us reading Edgar Allan Poe, so I always had, you know, just kind of a love for the arts, and uh, particularly through literature, so I just walked my little self to the English department, mm -hmm. signed up, had a little extra time, majored in philosophy too, and just became an English and philosophy major. So I don't know what else uh, you do with an English and philosophy degree other than teach or go to law school. So my advisor, who was this fabulous woman who, you know, worked in the Harlem Renaissance and knew all these like fantastic people. When I was in college, I met Maya Angelou. I had dinner with Ntozaki Shange. You know, we, we talked about Audre Lorde. I even met Spike Lee, you know, all, uh, yeah. all kinds of like amazing people. And my advisor was like, are you serious? You want to go to law school? And I was like, well, can you just write this recommendation, honey? Like, just let me... <laughs> Let me keep it moving. So oh, she thought it was a terrible idea, but she wrote the recommendation for me. So I ended up going to American University's Washington College of Law here in DC. I'm actually the third generation in my family. I like to say that because given the impediments for people of color to attaining education, the fact that my grandmother's generation has an advanced degree, a PhD from the American University. My mother has a PhD from the American University and I'm probably not as smart as they are so I just got a law degree That's awesome. <laughs> from the American University. So I um, graduated from um, American University in 95. It's hard to, no, 98. I'm sorry. I did college in 95, grad uh, law school in 98. Um, we moved, I got married also in 98. We moved to Birmingham, Alabama, and I started my career there as a civil rights attorney. Oh, um, wow. We had one set of cousins who lived here, who my grandmother's cousins, the Dora and Roland, they both were African-American PhD attaining individuals. They worked some time in Libya in the 80s. They used to teach me Arabic and write to me when they lived in uh, Libya and just kind of like opened our lives up to just a whole different world. Uh, 
And they had to come back in the 80s when we had that conflict with Libya, but they stayed very involved internationally. So that was like our family here in DC. So they gave us a lot of exposure to the arts, to just concepts that are outside of the United States, which I think was a big premise for soccer for us actually is a big uh, foundation. My mom used to take us on trips. She was a teacher early in her career. She ended up moving into administration um, after she got her PhD. But uh, she used to save her pennies as a teacher and take us to Paris and Switzerland and, you know, all these like awesome trips, just not to vacation, but like, so we could just see the world and just have exposure, you know, to the way that other people lived. And if you attend American University, it's a very diverse school in the graduate and professional programs. So we'd have Ethiopian dinner some nights with her friends or, you know, do iftar with Jordanians or, you know, just kind of like a real mix of cultures. Even when I was in law school, we used to joke that you couldn't come into the computer lab if you couldn't speak another language. So, so we yeah. um, we got we got used to just, you know, international culture. We learned a, a different language. My family, we're all Spanish speakers. So when we moved to Birmingham, it was a little tough for me because that's a different culture. <laughs> you know, being an East Coast person is one thing all in of itself, just living in big cities and close proximity to cities. And even though we're from Indianapolis, spending a summer there doesn't really teach you like what middle America is really like. So I struggled. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, America. I mean, uh, Birmingham has a culture that is a, a lot different racially than being in the Washington metropolitan area, where there's such a, a black, a large black community that's middle class. I don't know if, if you know Prince George's County is uh, used to be until recently the only county to go from majority white to majority black and have the income level go up. So. Nice. DC County is like one of the majority black areas that is, it, it, I think it's, it's the second most affluent black area. The county that's south of us, where a lot of people have moved over the last 15 years, has just become the most affluent majority black county, mostly because it just became majority black, you know, in the last uh, census. So this area is, is different. You know, there's a lot of opportunity for African-Americans. You know, you're used to living in uh, close connection with just middle-class African-Americans. So I struggled going to a place where that wasn't exactly so. I mean, I learned a whole lot. I made like fantastic friends, but I had to get back to a big city. So <laughs> with our relatives being in Chicago or D.C., we chose to come back to D.C. to raise our family. So that's the nutshell. That's that's kind of how it all happened and how we got back to D.C. Well, and I like that you tied in soccer, but I feel like soccer really took off with the birth of your two boys, right? Because eventually soccer found them or they found soccer, something something in there because they both were outstanding soccer players, both got money to play soccer in college, right? That's right. That's right. So it started really when my oldest was about four. We just wanted, you know, to have them involved in activities, like meet people in our community. And so I actually thought I would be a basketball mom. That was my dream. I just like <laughs> Kevin Durant's like his mom is the real MVP. I thought somebody was <laughs> say that about me one day on the basketball court but basketball doesn't start as early as four years old organized basketball I guess the kids don't have the skills to actually play it at that age but you can start in soccer and I don't know Dean if your kids played but is there anything that's cuter than like the little swarm <laughs> of bees that chases the ball oh, oh. The best. yeah it's the best yeah, yeah stop pick the flowers or cry. <laughs> to this day, that is like the most adorable thing in the world to me. So I had to put my little kids with the swarm. So my <laughs> oldest 
started when he was four. And then my youngest actually started at three because they had to get his dad to coach. They were like, oh, he can't play unless you coach. So his dad agreed to coach. And and then that's when he started, you know, kind of coaching them um, as little people in just our community soccer program, which was just like an awesome experience. And so I had no idea that it was going to take off, but they both, you know, happened to be really good at soccer and they happened to really love it. And the interim, I tried to get them to play basketball. And uh, Michael, we, we used to yell, hands like feet, hands like feet, whenever he played. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, he's got some good feet, let me tell you. Because <laughs> his free throw skills were about the same. <laughs> the younger well, one had a little bit of better at basketball, but he just wouldn't do it. He just loved soccer. His brother played soccer. So he, they just did soccer and we just went that way. Okay. So then take me to that banquet and you found me and you found me with Michael. Maybe that was why. Maybe it was to say, hey, Michael. And maybe you work TV. Was that the number one reason why you came and found me? Because you're with Michael? That was. He knew that uh, you did the broadcasting for the Big Ten and for many of his games. I actually, until I heard you talking, I didn't know that. But once I heard you talking, obviously, I recognized your voice from the games that I couldn't attend. I tried to attend most of his games, but of course, there were several that I couldn't. And so I was watching them on the the live feed, and it was you, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so when I heard you talking when you were emceeing the event, I was like, oh, that is <laughs> that is him. That's Dean Lickie. So I. I made the connection but yes he um has a degree now he's graduated just last weekend um in broadcast journalism from the pennsylvania state university and although he's got soccer in his blood and is hoping to be a coach i thought he might also make use of that degree so (laughs) (laughs) let me tell you we're gonna make that happen because i'm very much into karma and manifestation and like I told you, there was more karma involved the next Saturday night when I went to the black soccer coaches. I told you that before we went on the air. Uh, one of the things that you said, though, before we get to that, when we met right there was, yeah, I'm on the board. I don't know why they picked me. Of course, we know why they picked you because you're brilliant. But how did that happen? How did you end up on the board for United Soccer Coaches, Eden? Well, that's a good question. That One that we probably have to ask uh, the president, Dave Carr. <laughs> So he he gave me a call one day and asked if I was interested. The, the, what I think is is connected through Lincoln Phillips, actually. Okay. So Lincoln, who is not just an African American or a black man, he's from Trinidad. Yep. So um, a lot of the team, Ian Bain, uh, there were a lot of Trinidadian footballers who came to uh, the states back in the seventies and eighties to be educated at the universities. So my son, this is just how wonderful the world is and how small it is. My uh, older son, Michael, went to Gonzaga College High School in in D.C., and they have a sister school called Georgetown Visitation. Um, So his school is all boys. The sister school visitation is all girls. So he made a best friend, the Hendersons who uh, ended up loving uh, my older son. And they are just a fantastic family from Trinidad. And the dad, Barry, is a Trinidadian footballer. So he and his best friend, David Nakid, came to the Americas, went to American University, and um, played soccer. So David Nakid ended up in Americans Hall of Fame. I think he was one of the first NCAA players to actually play internationally in Europe professionally. 
So he spent a career playing uh, through Belgium. Uh, I think he played in Greece, like lots of places. So he's half Trinidadian, half Lebanese. So when he kind of started moving from playing to coaching, he moved to Lebanon and started doing a little coaching there. So I met David through the connection with the Hendersons and David had actually applied to be American University's uh, soccer coach and uh, they did not select him for reasons that appeared to be completely and almost unequivocally based on race. <laughs> so as a lawyer, he called me to kind of help him uh, manage that situation. So I think that actually through meeting some of the people in that case, like Kendall Reyes, and talking about the issues with Black coaches in soccer at the professional levels, um, at the NCAA level, the same issues that you find in the NFL, the so-called Rooney rule that has tried to have been replicated through the MLS, just discussing like a lot of those issues. They, you know, just will come to me asking me questions about diversity, some of the civil rights laws, race issues. And so I really think it was probably Kendall or someone who gave my name, you know, to the board from that advocacy, you know, and just, I mean, it's it's an important thing to talk about. You don't necessarily have to be representing people to contribute to the discourse on how we make things better and how we open the, the playing field for everyone. And in America, it's really odd because soccer is kind of dominated to the exclusion of the Latino, the Africans, you know, the Trinis, the Caribbean people, which I find amazing because it's their culture, you know, it lives in their blood. So how can we have such a diverse society of people, but not see the people who who live and breathe soccer in a way that we don't, like not bubble up through the ranks. So like coming together to kind of address those issues, you know, I have an interest in that, obviously, in every aspect of our life as Americans. And I think that's what, you know, ultimately got my name in the fray, but we really have to ask Dave Carr to confirm that because that's just my speculation. That's the only thing I could think of. <laughs> well, that all makes sense. And as we know, as we go through life, doors open in unique ways. Sometimes we can go all the way in. Sometimes we can take a little peek and then step back. I feel like you've stepped all the way in, Eden. So with that, what's been the best part about being on the board? And what's been the most challenging part about being on the board? So the best part is easy to say. It's just really meeting the people and working with the people. So the other people on the board are all, were all strangers to me, you know, before I started this process and just getting to know them, talking to them through the vetting process, and then actually coming onto the board and listening to their stories and like their love for the game and, you know, just kind of their backgrounds has been like really exciting. Like I enjoy meeting new people. I don't think you can get anything done outside of a collaborative effort effort with people from different backgrounds and different experiences. I, I actually honestly think that diversity of thought is how you get to a good solution. So people don't have to be the same as you. They don't need to agree with you. You know, I don't even necessarily have to like you, but it's important that all of those things are represented at the table, because for me, you're never going to come to the right conclusion unless you're considering everything that's at play. So I've enjoyed that with the board. At our last meeting in um, April, our quarterly meeting after the convention, we went to, I say Kansas City, but we were really outside of Kansas City and I don't know, a place that I had never heard of, but a beautiful <laughs> resort. And all of the staff actually drove the 45 minutes and came out you know, to spend time with us at the resort. So honestly, meeting the staff, seeing the people who kind of make uh, uh, the organization work, where the, the, the largest mission is actually co 
coaching education and I can get to the importance of education for me in any aspect or avenue, but kind of having the chance to like meet them. I have my little buddies on the staff now. Like, you know, we just really had a good time and I really respect the work and the effort that everybody's putting in to see that all come together and see their kind of like vigor and to kind of hear their stories and just get to know people. That's actually been the best part so far. I think the the greatest challenge that has come up um, has really been raised by, by one of the other board members just about like diversity and making sure that we kind of stay on top of that. And like, it's our responsibility as fiduciaries to ensure that when we see that their concerns or issues that we address them. And there has been some concern with your, you know, the event that you emcee, the awards event. And making sure that, you know, the top awards reflect the diversity of the game and that when you see that it hasn't over a period of time, you got to look a little deeper, you know, and kind of inquire as to why that is and make some tweaks and adjustments. So anytime there's change and you want to do something that's different than the way things have traditionally been done, you're going to get resistance. <laughs> it's hard well, for people to change. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that the very next night, I told you what happened to me at the Black Soccer Coaches Legends event where even my wife has never seen me like that. I was levitating and Hugh Menzies could feel my emotion. Lincoln could feel my emotion. Nicole Hercules could feel my emotion. So coming you know, off of what you just said right there, hopefully the progress they made, it was the best social of all the socials at the convention, I can tell you right now. So hopefully next year on that Friday banquet, Unrelated to that Saturday night or related to that Saturday night, we'll see exactly what you want to see. So quick soundbite, no regrets being on the board, full steam ahead for you, right? Yeah, no, I'm very excited. And I hope that the things that I bring to it, uh, unique as they may be, having never kicked a soccer ball in my life or uh, coached a team, you know, can really make a difference and contribute because soccer is important to my family. You know, as, as you noted, my kids ended up going to college, you know, because they're soccer players and education is the most important thing to us. It's the great equalizer. And that's on every aspect. So that the, the fact that my kids had the opportunity to be educated and to go to college with soccer means every everything to my family. The fact that we get to be involved in an organization where the main premise is making sure that education uh, is done properly and that people get access to it, you know, just kind of falls uh, in line with that for us. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm full steam ahead. <laughs> well, and I hung on your words about the fact that you met the staff and at the end of the day, United Soccer Coaches is in fact about coaching education and you emphasize that word education. So I'll let you add to that as another reason why you're really enjoying being on the board. We try to do all things in our household with excellence, right? And from a lawyer's perspective, if you don't have all the information, you can't come to the right conclusion, right? And then experience is a good teacher. It's the best teacher. So education means all of those things to me. So my oldest son, as you know, I want him to use his broadcasting degree, but he also wants to coach. So I have an interest. If this is what you want to do, then I want to make sure that you, you become the best, you know, that there is out there. And I think soccer education is a critical part of that. I mean, obviously, you know, being with your team, getting to understanding, as you said, mental health, you know, the psychology of your athletes, 
all of those things are just as important as tactics and what drills to do to, you know, make you the fittest athletes in the world. I mean, it all comes together and it, and it comes through education. So through this organization, you have a conglomerate of the people who are the best out there and who've got lots of experience and they're basically coming to share it so that you can grow in your own craft. And so if we're going to do something, we want to be the best at it, right? We want to, you know, get to the pinnacle and take advantage of every opportunity. So it, it all kind of like, I say the creator just pulls things together for you, whether you know you need it or not. I had no idea that my son was going to say, hey, I'm going to be interested in coaching. And he said it at the same time that this opportunity came. So I see it. We say that maybe Kendall Phillips did it, maybe Dave Carr did it. But I think the creator actually said, let me bring these things together because you have things that you can contribute to this organization. Well, they have things that they can contribute to you. And it's, you know, it's all ultimately going to come together. I say amen to that and tying it all together. By the way, you're a great storyteller, which uh, I think makes a great lawyer, you know, as you break things down for sure. And clearly you bring passion to everything in your life. I can tell you, especially bring passion to your family, your, your two handsome boys. But knowing that diversity was brought up at this last retreat at the resort, I didn't get the invite, by the way, to that resort thing. So I'll have to <laughs> check back with Jeff Van Dusen on that. But I guess I'm not official staff. Obviously, I'm having a joke there. But I told you what happened Saturday night. I'm sure that you've heard Nicole Hercules, who's now on the board. You've probably heard enough stories about what she's done to take the black soccer coaches from, you know, way down here to, to way up here to, again, what I thought was the best event of the night. Knowing that, uh, you've already admitted you're not a soccer coach. You love watching soccer because of your boys. Please tell me you're going to keep an eye on and maybe even dive in a little bit on what's going on with the black soccer coaches, because like you, Nicole did the work of five people and now they have this governance. And I feel like the future is bright for the black soccer coaches community. Oh, I think so. I mean, I, I think the board is particularly interested in ensuring that uh, diversity is promoted. It's it's not just me saying it as an African-American member of the board, like our president is is definitely committed to it. Our, our past president is definitely committed to it. And so I, I think the, the board is of a mind to make sure that not just the African-American coaches, but that all of the communities are respected. And I think that that's actually important because that's what soccer is. I mean, I've traveled the world because of soccer. I've been to Camp New and seen Terry Henry, you know, and Messi take penalty kicks, you know, that Terry Henry is from Africa, even though he's French. All of Africa uh, plays in, for France now. But, um, you know, there are Black people, there are Arabs, there are Latino people. My, my son has gone to Ireland, Guadalajara. Like they have to find somebody who speaks different languages so that they could all, you know, communicate. So, I mean, I, I I can't imagine that there's anything more than important than diversity. And I think it's important for us all to be seen. So particularly African-American coaches, because we're unique in this country in the sense that we are, we can represent the Africans in this country who love soccer. We saw Morocco, you know, kind of make their rise at the World Cup. You know, we represent, you know, uh, Latino people. Uh, the African diaspora is all over the Latin Americas, you know, right? Where soccer is a big part of South, South America. America. Soccer is a big part of the Caribbean. 
You know, and then we represent the kids like mine, just, you know, African-Americans who, you know, are a part of the, the culture and the history of an enslaved people who are making their way and enjoying the game and bringing prominence to America. We just saw our own, you know, national team with a lot of representation from African-American young people kind of go out there and show the world our stuff. And they went to Qatar and like made it exciting again. I mean, I usually root for Brazil, Mexico, Ghana, and then maybe the United States, but I had to pick them up. You know, because of what we had going on. And then even you, Dean, I can tell you that when we talked to you and, you know, Michael was hurt for basically because of COVID, half of his soccer career, he tore his Achilles. So he played a little bit the freshman year and then he played the senior year, but he had a lot of painful moments like sitting and watching everything go by. But like you knew who he was, you know, like I'd expect for you to have known, you know, I don't know, Andrew Privet, who just got drafted and is down playing in Charlotte or even Liam Butts, who is, you know, Jamaican, you know, black and who, you know, had decided to stay at school or my son's roommate Jalen uh Watson who got drafted by FC Toronto but you actually knew Michael and so that yeah but that brings value like that says you know even though you you didn't get the it didn't turn out like we hoped I still saw you and I saw what you were contributing and I see you know what you can do and what you can bring to the game and I think that's what people of color just want you know with respect to soccer just see us you know we have talent we can bring excitement to the game you know it's a part of our blood it's a part of our culture you know let's let's take let's make american soccer the same as la liga or serie a or even my favorite Cruz Azul in Mexico. <laughs> let's, you know, let's 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 do that. And we're not going to be able to do it if we don't embrace, you know, black soccer coaches, black soccer players, Latino coaches, uh, you know, members of the LGBT community, even those who I, they say that, you know, disabled community, I like to call people who have disabilities differently abled, but no less able. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, let's embrace everybody. But I mean, like I said, I'm black all day, every day. So mm -hmm. I'm always going to, you know, put one up for, for the black folks in this country because it's, it's so much fun. You know, we bring my, my son like runs like a gazelle and always wants to do something fabulous. So we, we bring that little Brazilian excitement that makes it the beautiful game. We're always, you know, working on that level so I say everybody else is playing Claude as shocker but we're out here <laughs> fabulous you know <laughs> amen and I hope seeing that will mean that Michael and I will be on the Big Ten Network together like I already said I really do believe that will happen I'm so pleased that you sought me out I hope this is the beginning of a wonderful friendship more importantly I hope people take the time to listen to the powerful member we now have on the board of United Soccer Coaches Eden Brown Gaines. Incredible interview, Eden Brown Gaines. Really enjoyed it. And I look forward to seeing you the next time down the road. In the meantime, I'll get to work on getting Michael landing with me for a couple games on the Big Ten Network. And thank you so much for being on the show, Eden Brown Gaines. You bring so much passion, so much inspiration. I really enjoyed this and I hope you did. Oh, thanks a million for having me. I'm already thinking we're going to boogie at the next uh, Black Party. <laughs> we're going to get it in a little bit. I'm looking forward to that in Anaheim. <laughs> that, that sounds good. I think somewhere, somehow, my wife's giggling at the notion of me boogieing. But with you, it'll be okay for sure. Eden Brown Gaines. All the best, Eden. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. What a great way to kick off the show when we return a new collaborative partnership with two of the great partners, for lack of a better word, with United Soccer Coaches, Beyond Pulse and Veal. 
Two of their leaders will break down their new collaboration when we return. Introducing the first ever CoachCon, presented by Soccer.com in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, August 11th through the 13th. Register now to experience distinct coaching education from top-level professionals and earn a special topics diploma in game analysis or organizational leadership. Spots are extremely limited. Register today at unitedsoccercoaches.org slash CoachCon. Just this month, Beyond Pulse and VO partnered to revolutionize youth sports coaching and analysis. Beyond Pulse and VO are providing technology to create a better youth sports culture, one coach and one team at a time. Beyond Pulse is excited to announce an official partnership with VO, the ultimate camera for team sports. Together, Beyond Pulse and VO are revolutionizing the way coaches and teams approach youth sports by providing technology to succeed on and off the field. This partnership represents the drive to create a better youth sports culture. Beyond Pulse technology tracks key metrics like active participation, distance coverage, speed, and intensity of play, giving coaches insight into each player's development and level of engagement. Beyond Pulse provides coaches with detailed reports that help them better understand how each player is developing so they can tailor training sessions and game strategies to enhance the player experience and maximize potential. VO's innovative AI technology enables soccer teams at all levels, from grassroots to amateur and youth teams, to record their games without the need for a camera operator. With the VO camera, users can easily capture high-quality footage of the pitch and ball movement. By simply mounting the camera on a tripod, elevating it for an optimal view, and pressing record or live stream, Users can focus on their game while VO does the rest. Once the game is finished, the footage can be easily uploaded to the VO platform. For more on this package, we are so pleased to be joined by John O'Callaghan, who is the U.S. market lead for VO, and Michael Supp, the co-founder and chief revenue officer for Beyond Pulse. It's truly a partnership because we have both of them on. Welcome to you both, Michael. Welcome to you as well, Jono. Thanks for having us, Dean. Yes, thanks, Dean. Excited for this. Well, let's start with VO, with learning who is VO, and then we'll move to Beyond Pulse, and we'll kind of go back and forth as we learn about this exciting partnership. So let's start with an explanation on what is VO. VO, most commonly known as a camera company, you probably saw our green camera at any soccer field you've been at. We are based and founded at Copenhagen, Denmark. The company was founded back in 2018. There's now close to 300 employees. We have over 20,000 customers. Over a million players and coaches today are using VO across a number of different sports, but primarily within soccer. We are a software and hardware technology company. Perfect. And Mr. Sub, can you tell us about Beyond Pulse and specifically about their technology? Sure, yeah. We're typically regarded as wearable technology. We're specifically, though, wearable technology in an educational tech platform. So the whole idea is, yes, we have a wearable, but really the value is in what are we doing with this data? How are we providing critical information to coaches, to entire clubs and organizations, to schools, all the way down to the players, athletes, students, and parents themselves? Like VO, we're dominant in the soccer space, although we are being uh, adopted more and more by multiple sports. 
And that applies for us, mainly in club soccer right now, travel soccer, but also high school and collegiate athletics as well. Sticking with you, Michael Sup from Beyond Pulse, what kind of data can coaches and athletes collect using BP and how is that data presented to them? And then furthermore, it's kind of three questions in one. What types of teams and clubs use Beyond Pulse? Yeah, we're one of very few devices out there that actually track both heart rate and movement. Obviously, the belt that we have currently, it is a heart rate monitor, so it's worn around the player's chest. There's sort of a sports bra and sports vest look and feel about it. But then with the accelerometer that's also within that sensor is things like distance, speed, sprints, just general sort of activity and and movement that's also recorded. The data, it's presented in a very easy way. This is almost a completely automated system. So gone are the days whereby there needed to be recharging or coaches needed to bring a briefcase out to the field and and all the sensors. This is something that belongs to the kids. They put it on and off before and after practice, just like they do their cleats or shin guards. And then it's all app-based and it's a cloud-based system. So everything is there for people. It's done within a matter of seconds. Folks are automatically sort of pinged with their data, just like when you get a phone notification, as soon as they finish working out, training sessions, games, whatever it might be. We're pretty much spread nicely across uh, youth sports in general, inclusive of club, you know, travel, and then obviously high school. And we work with well over 100 university programs now as well, from Division One all the way through to junior college, sort of NAIA, smaller schools as well that we serve with this tank. Great job, Michael, breaking down Beyond Pulse. Now we're going to let John O'Callaghan do the same thing, breaking down VO. And then we're going to collectively, because you're working together, we're going to talk about what that means. But Look, you kind of already said, John, who is VO, but now I'm going to ask you kind of four questions in one, which really gives you the opportunity to talk all you want about VO, and that is your footprint in the U.S. You touched on it just a little bit, but you can go deeper. What are some of the product features? What sets VO apart? And where is VO going in the future, sir? Thanks, Dean. Our biggest footprint for VO, as I mentioned, we're a Danish-based uh, company. We do have uh, offices here in the U.S. as well, but uh, our biggest customer base is in the U.S. Um, as Michael alluded to, the, the travel and competitive sports here, as we know, is is a, a monster in itself. And so that's where most of our customers lie in that competitive soccer uh, area. And um, we have some really key partnerships. You know, Beyond Pulse is a partnership of ours, United Soccer Coaches as well. But uh, within the leagues and governing bodies across the U.S., um, U.S. Youth Soccer, U.S. Club Soccer, and some of the main travel leagues here as well. Those are our partners. And so uh, with that, we offer a bunch of different services. Uh, the camera is the most well-known one, obviously, because that's what captures all the content. But we also have an analysis platform that breaks down the full game for you as well. So you can go in as a coach or a player after the game. You can see all your shots. You can see all your free kicks, your possession, where that was by location of the field, and really go in depth on that side as well. Just this last year, uh, also, we launched uh, live streaming as part of our camera as well. So now you can live stream a game from anywhere, which is obviously key in the United States when you have one parent that might be on the West Coast with uh, a kid and the other might be in the Midwest or who knows. Um, so, yeah, now you, you don't have to miss a, a game if you're if you're traveling. So that, that's really cool as well. I think really what sets us apart is it's a very competitive space, as most people know. Uh, there's a lot of great technology out there, but VO has been one of the first you know, camera technologies to the market. And and I think we pride ourselves in just the overall video quality. If you've seen any video footage, you'll see it's it's really, really clear. Good quality footage obviously helps with creating clips and getting highlights and taking your video to the next level. So 
that's that's kind of where we are today and, and we we hope to just continue to go deeper and deeper down that analysis path and also just continue to improve our camera year over year well and also part of where you're going in the future Jono, has inspired this beyond pulse and vo partnership i'll let you Jono, speak on it first and then i'll let michael sup echo your sentiments and add to it the partnership kind of sparked Mike and I have, have had a lot of great conversations and what we see today is, you know, there's a demand for a lot of technology in sports. Sometimes uh, that can be too much, but uh, when you find the right fit between coaches that have, they're looking for good quality video, but they're also looking for advanced data to, to back up a lot of the information they can uh, take from the field and then go educate their team. So that's where we saw that this partnership is being really complementary. We pride ourselves on the video aspect and the player clipping and analysis, and then Beyond Pulse can then provide that really granular data and insights. So merging those two together obviously gives the coaches and the players a lot of great information that they can use at their disposal. So yeah, we see this as a, as a really good complementary uh, partnership and we're working in the same space as well. So a lot of good connections and network uh, that we can share with one another. And as I mentioned, please add to that, Michael. Yeah, certainly. I think fundamentally there's a there's a real alignment just in terms of mission and, and purpose, I think, between the two companies. And, you know, from a tech perspective, I think between us both, it was about, hey, how do we really democratize technology and simplify it in a way that you know, is never accessible to the masses before? And, you know, it's it's pretty clear Vio's done an incredible job at that. You can't go to a soccer field now without seeing one of their cameras there it's it's wild what their growth has been but it's because they did exactly that and we're obviously trying to do the same thing on a wearable sense again it's been very much uh, used at the elite level only and so our entire mission a few years ago was to do a similar thing hey how do we make this way more simple easier to use easy to understand requires very little involvement from folks yet they still get to benefit from this data because there's typically been a lot of barriers to that in the past so i think hand in hand you know from a video sense, from a wearable sense, we've both sort of uh, worked extremely hard to make that more accessible to people that have never had it before. Sticking with you, Michael Sup, how has the rise of technology impacted youth sports in recent years? And Jono, I'm going to let you also add on after he answers that question, please. I think Jono can speak to it more in a video sense. I mean, I think video has just been around much longer than, than wearable has. Again, you can't go to many soccer fields now without seeing video technology. I still think wearable is, is it's a little bit early. Uh, I still think folks are starting to uh, tinker with it more, but it's, it's not there. It's definitely not there in the same way that video is, but we obviously believe it's, it's coming. Where we have seen the impact more so outside of that professional environment has been more so in the collegiate space. These are folks who perhaps have a little bit more in terms of budget, a little bit more in terms of staff and expertise, and therefore I think now it's hard to find most college programs that might not have a wearable or are really close to getting a wearable. And I still think there's still plenty of time for that to come in the youth space. It is coming. There's still a decent amount of people that are starting to adopt it, not just for one or two teams, but starting to look at it now throughout an entire organization, which five years ago would have been fairly unheard of. The curve to adoption, though, is just a little bit behind in terms of where video is. So maybe I can let John speak to that a little bit more. You hit the nail on the head with a lot of it. As Michael said, technologies continue to get more and more uh, advanced in this area. And I think what I've saw personally in the last you know five years is it's becoming not so much a nice to have as it was and more of a need to have now. College coaches, any kid that wants to go to the next level, 
they're going to ask you to see video. They're going to ask you to see more data and more insights so they can evaluate your performance. And I think some of it might have actually attributed to, to COVID is people were restricted with travel. College coaches weren't able to go coast to coast. People weren't able to see games all the time. So I think there's been a natural adoption of, okay, we need to actually use this technology to our advantage and things like streaming, which weren't, you know, a huge thing before in the past, people have gotten used to that now. And now I think it's here to stay just because people are seeing that, hey, you can actually work a bit more efficiently if you have some of this technology that can help you get things done. What big impact I've saw is, as we know, the the culture in youth sports in the US is, is very... One, it's very um, costly for families, uh, travel, fees, all those things. And so having some of this technology can limit, you know, maybe you don't have to go to five college showcases because you've gathered enough video and data to help you with that college recruiting pathway. Or uh, like I mentioned earlier, you know, one parent can go to a tournament that might be out of state and the other parent can still see their their kids' games at home. And so I think it's just allowing people to be a bit more uh, efficient in, in how they approach kind of this youth sports market. And then uh, also on the college coach side, I think from a budget perspective, obviously that's always a really important thing for college coaches, but now they can go and see talent through video, through data in the comfort of their office or their school. And that can maybe validate, okay, this kid is someone that we're really interested in. Then we'll go take that visit. But yeah, I just think it allows people to maybe work a little bit more efficiently with, with the tech that's uh is available. If you follow the United Soccer Coaches at all, if you listen to the United Soccer Coaches podcast at all, you know that Beyond Pulse and VO are great partners of United Soccer Coaches. And now these two great partners have, in fact, quote, partnered themselves to revolutionize youth sports coaching and analysis. And we're here with Michael Supp from Beyond Pulse. And we're also here with John O'Callaghan from VO. And before we promote to make sure everybody can find you guys, I'm going to ask one question. I don't care who jumps in first, just say who's jumping in first. And that is how can coaches use both objective and subjective measures to evaluate player development and make informed decisions about training and competition strategies? I can just make a quick point on this from, from VO and from the video component. Uh, I'll let Michael can elaborate more on the data side. But I think subjectively, there is always, you know, as a coach, you might have a, an idea of something that happened in the game or you might have an opinion on something that happened. But when you go back from an objective standpoint, you really, video doesn't lie. And so you can really back up a lot of your, you know, thesis or, or opinions that you had on the game through video. Uh, and I think that's also the same for players as well. You know, they you get so caught up in the game, but when you go back and actually look at your performance visually, then sometimes they can set a light bulb off and say, okay, maybe I wasn't doing this correctly, or maybe my coach isn't crazy and keeps shouting at me for a specific reason. I am actually uh, doing this, but I can also be using the positive light as well. Players might say, I'm, I'm not doing a great job here, where you can actually go in and say, well, if you actually look and look at this example of the game where maybe your movement was great, but you just didn't get the right opportunity, there's a lot of, of uh, objective uh, things that you can pull from that. So that's what I would say kind of from a, a video standpoint. I guess to add to that from a, I guess from a philosophical standpoint, there does seem to be this parallel between, you know, it's, it's objective or it's subjective. And, and it's not like they're both, they're both supposed to inform one another. And I think What's critical in coaching is I personally believe, and I think a lot of others do too, that coaching in particular will always be sort of a humanistic endeavor. You know, it will always be front and center 
where we've been lacking for coaches and especially coaches at sort of the, the grassroots and younger level is we've really not had access to any other objective means of, of data collection and being able to inform our subjective opinion. So it's not a case of wanting to replace it. It's not a case of wanting to, you know, make us all robots and respond to the data only. It's no, no, no. Like, can we, can we lean upon some data that we've never had access to before in order to just be even better at coaching and, and dealing with, with people? That's what we're doing. And so from a, a wearable perspective, that's exactly what it does. As coaches, we have these ideas in terms of how hard players work or didn't work or how efficient or engaging or dynamic our practices were. And then a good example is as coaches, we just don't realize how much time we talk, right? It's a really simple one, but we don't realize how much time we talk and how much time we stop practice, which ultimately means the kids maybe don't play as much as we thought they did. And so one behavioral change we've been able to see just over the years is when coaches are actually more aware of how much time the kids actually play, well, that can start to impact, you know, their actual coaching behavior, i.e. maybe not talking so much, or if we do, we're going to talk a little bit less. Maybe I'm not going to stop it so many times. If I do stop it, can I try and get in and out within sort of 30 seconds? Just these sort of coaching behaviors that without some objective data might not have uh, shifted that needle with them slightly. So the, the whole idea is we're not trying to replace that humanistic side to coaching. It will always be the most important part. How can we just add some objective data insights to help us you know, guide that further? Well said from the founder of Beyond Pulse, Michael Supp. Beyond Pulse is a global leader in wearable technology, specifically tailored for athletes of all ages and abilities Beyond Pulse uses technology to inspire a lifelong love activity amongst its users and to empower coaches to improve how they structure training sessions and mentor other coaches as well. We can discover more by going to, to what website, Michael, and where can we reach you on email and social media? Simply, you know, beyondpulse.com. We're on all social media platforms. Uh, not me personally, but Beyond Pulse is. And then if anyone does want to reach out to me directly, my my email is simply michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at beyondpulse.com. VO is the ultimate sports camera to record, stream, and analyze your soccer game. Founded in 2015 in Copenhagen, Denmark, VO has developed an AI sports camera platform that enables sports teams of all levels to record and stream matches automatically in high definition alongside an analytics platform that allows users to analyze their games and share the best highlights. Jono Callahan is from VO. Same question, website, email, social media. Jono, where can we find VO? Yeah, you'll, you'll see us likewise all over social media. Um, I think the handle is, is VO Technologies on, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and things of that nature. And then obviously go to the VO website, vo.co. Um, my email is, is pretty simple for anyone that, that is interested in follow-up. It's just jono, J-O-N-O, at vo, V-E-O.co. So try and keep it simple. Well, let's also keep this simple, but also self-serving. I've asked this to you before, but this is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. We'll start with you, Jono, in one sentence. Why is working with United Soccer Coaches so important to you and VO? Yeah, I think United Soccer Coaches has just been a, a really valuable resource for us and aligning with the mission of what VO has is to democratize sports for all. United Soccer Coaches has a, has a massive network, as we know, the biggest in the United States. And so being attached to someone of that 
uh, stature with the recognition they have is, is amazing. And then obviously we know how big the conventions are each year and that's kind of a flagship event for us as a company. And so every year we're always striving towards that, you know, what can we bring to the table that's different from what we've done before and how can we connect with people there? And so, yeah, we're excited for that to, to continue. Well said, Jano from VO. Michael Sup. same question. Why is your relationship with United Soccer Coaches so important to Beyond Pulse? It stems from just a personal connection to the to the association, the organization from, uh, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, attending my first convention when I first moved over to the U.S. So, yeah, without doubt, when we started the company, no-brainer that we wanted to partner with the association just by way of what it represents, this idea of a lifelong passion and love for the game that unites us all, um, you know, this this notion of education and, and lifelong learning being a key facet of, of, of what the association represents and just that member and community feel, you know, that's who we are. We're, we're coaches uh, as well. So, you know, we built this product, but we built it for coaches. So there's there's no better fit in terms of wanting to, uh, to be alongside the United Soccer Coaches on this journey. We've had both of your entities on separately. It is truly revolutionary to have you on together as I finally get that word right as we end our time. Michael Stubb, John O'Callaghan, great to have you on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you, Dean. Thank you, Dean. Appreciate it. It was indeed my pleasure, and it's also been my pleasure to put the focus all month on API Heritage Month and work with Ashu Saksena, the chair of the API Soccer Coaches community. He pushes forward two more great members, Gary Thakar and Jeremy Tasaya as they represent the API Soccer Coaches community. My visit with Garish and Jeremy when we return. As a soccer coach, you're no stranger to developing your players, but how are you developing your own expertise? As a United Soccer Coaches member, you receive access to a range of resources, like our online learning platform, The Training Ground, to aid in the growth and enhancement of your coaching skills and career. From coaching education courses to lifestyle services, take advantage of new opportunities and member benefits with an annual United Soccer Coaches membership for just $125. Join the home of all coaches today at unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. As you know, we've dedicated the entire month to API Heritage Month and to the API Coaches community for United Soccer Coaches. I want to definitely thank Ashu Saksena for bringing forward outstanding men and women today. Two outstanding men. We're joined by Jeremy Tosaya, who is with Next College Student Athlete, stands for NCSA out of Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks, Steve, for having us. My pleasure. And we're also joined by Garish Thakar, who's the head men's and women's soccer coach at Westminster College in PA. That's Division Three. He wears a lot of hats. Garish, welcome to you as well. Thank you, Dean. Pleasure to be here. All right. Well, you just heard me say API Heritage Month. You just heard me mention about a shoe and the incredible API soccer coaches community. So on its whole, we'll start with you, Jeremy. What does API Heritage Month mean to you? And then, Garish, I would very much like you to add on. 
Yeah, for me, it's uh, trying to just educate my peers and, and my coworkers and, and my friends uh, about just some of the struggles and some of the, the successes and positives of Asian Pacific Islanders uh, as a whole. And it's something I think that gets overlooked a lot. And so for me, it's just a time to celebrate what we bring and the diversity and the beauty that uh, comes from that region of the world. Garish, can you echo some of those sentiments? Yes, Dean. I mean, as part of uh, someone who works in the educational setting uh, in the collegiate realm, it's a great opportunity for us to share our cultures, heritage, history with young people of this country as well, being involved in the college realm. And I think, um, you know, sports-wise, it's a great opportunity for us to uh, share and echo the stuff that's going on in the, in the world right now with our, with our players, uh, soccer players, or whether it's the high school, college, or the professional level. Jeremy, you said two key words as we reflect on API Heritage Month. One is a positive, one not so positive, but you grow from not so positive, and they are successes and struggles. Let's start with the positive one, successes, particularly based on all you've seen over time, and particularly with the emergence of the API soccer coaches community. What are some of the successes you're most proud of as it relates to API heritage? I think the biggest success is just that we're even getting a voice now, right? I mean, we, we tend to be a minority that gets overlooked a lot. We're not a big minority from a numbers perspective in a lot of the United States. And so I think when you look at the notoriety or the attention that some minority groups get, API tends to be overlooked. And so the fact that, especially uh, Ashu and United Soccer Coaches putting together this coaches community that we can come together and just getting to meet. Garish and I met each other a few years ago in Kansas City at one of the conventions. First time that we had API come together, um, and it was fantastic. You know, getting to be with other coaches that are have the same heritage as I. We've never had that before. I think that's the biggest victory is that we're actually being given a voice now. API Heritage Month is actually something that's happening, but. Uh, you know, it's still, we have a long ways to go to actually kind of get on the forefront of being one of the diversity groups that uh, people actually know more about. Good answer. Garish, can you add on about successes, please? Our objective really as API coaches is to to share with everyone the success that our coaches and educators have had in this country. Uh, sometimes they're overlooked. We have a number of coaches that coach at you know, the NCA level, the, the high school level, the youth level that we are trying to get out there and share share the information, see what they've been doing, and then also be models and role models for, for our students that are playing that are out there on the fields that we can they can see someone of their own type, you know, that can be involved in coaching. That's very difficult because in heritage-wise, uh, it's not always encouraged to be involved in Coaching, you know, uh, very, very seldom do people of our background are involved and put, really push towards coaching. So this is our way to show them that this could be a profession for them. This could be something that they can continue doing for the rest of their lives. Struggles really does land with me, particularly having spent a long time with the shoe, particularly doing the webinars while COVID was going on, dealing with a politically divided country. Let's dive into the struggles and are we making progress on the struggles? We'll start again with you, Jeremy. I think there's been progress, but still, obviously, you know, like I said, we, we have a long ways to go still. And there's just a lot of stigmas towards Asian Americans or Pacific Islanders. And I think the biggest thing is, and this is, you know, this is our challenge just with racism in general, is we have to just start looking at each other as 
beautiful individuals that bring something to the table to create a better community. And if we embrace those differences in each other, it's a better community. And sometimes we get hung up on the differences and we think that those are negatives, right? Instead of seeing those as beautiful differences, it's getting past stigmas. It's getting past presuppositions we have about each other uh, just in general. And I think one of the biggest things, like I mentioned, is our particular group just seems to be overlooked a lot and we get forgotten sometimes because we're a smaller minority. And I think that's one of the biggest things. So like, for instance, you know, um, some of the companies I've worked in celebrate other heritage or diversity months, but I had to bring to the table, Hey, by the way, this is Asian Pacific Islander heritage month. What are we doing as a company to celebrate that? And then, you know, and, and, and to their credit, okay, great. Yeah. We, we, you know, we kind of overlooked it. Why don't you go ahead and write something and we'll send it up. You know, that's okay, but I know that they did a lot more for other months, right? Um, and so I think just in general, we need our voices to be heard and, and we need to be seen as you know, we have something to bring to the table that we can add something. And specifically to soccer, sometimes there's a stigma about people from Asia and Pacific Islands that we're not great athletes, that we can be super smart, right? Um, that we're very academic and we don't bring a lot from a coaching or from a, an athlete perspective. And like Gareth mentioned, Seeing current coaches, seeing current players that are celebrated can give youth hey, that idea or that dream. Maybe I can do that someday. Well said, Garish. I'd like you to also add on to the struggles and hopefully you'll add on the fact that there is progress being made. Yes, Dean. I mean, you know, we as a, as a group have been uh, putting this together for about two years now. And um, our, our sole um uh, like target is to go out there and get the word out there, get the word out there with people like you and, you know, on websites and, uh, you know, having our leaders uh, getting involved, you know, being interviewed, uh, being looked at. And, and that's a big part of it is the education component. And API Heritage Month, uh, for me, until about a couple of years ago, there wasn't a lot heard of, you know, and now all of a sudden, you know, we are getting more and more uh, out there in terms of in the TV and, and the websites and the radios, et cetera. And that's, and that's a plus. Nothing's going to, nothing's going to happen in, in, in one day. So, you know, we need to get the word out there. And a big part of it also is our group itself. We have, we have people from Asia, we have people from the Pacific Islanders. We have like, so there's a, there's a diverse group within our community as well. Getting our communities together and working together is also a big part of this as well. I'm really pleased to hear both of you talk about the fact that a lot, I mean, just kind of this general stigma that, you know, if you're from API Heritage, you are working in software, you are a doctor, you are, have this some big time job. And a lot of people say that's kind of what the parents expect of their kids. I think that might just be a myth, but I'm not totally sure. Can, can you add on to the fact that you need to get through those expectations to be able to do what you love, and in both of your cases, that is working in and around soccer and, in fact, coaching. When I grew up, the only thing that was asked from me was, you know, go to college, get a degree. Ideally, it will be either law or medicine or engineering. So um, that's just a cultural thing within within the Indian community. You know, that's what you'd push. And generally, in the Asian community. But now, you know, there are some opportunities for people to get involved and kids to get involved in other things. And, and and that has to be encouraged because at the end of the day, you have to do something you love to do for the rest of your life, right? So for in my case, you know, I started coaching, you know, at 15 years old, I started taking the coaching licenses. 
And uh, it was very difficult because you couldn't see many people like me when you were taking these coaching licenses. And so, you know, it wasn't encouraged as much. But um, my my objective is to get get out there now and use that experience I have and share that with the people that I work with on a daily basis or when I'm at tournaments or when I'm at high schools, you know, encourage these people to get involved in the in the sport and tell them that there is a place there for them, you know, and uh, they can get involved. So that's the side of things that I'm really pushing for and the coaching ed- education side of things, you know. And I, I would agree. I, well, I'm just a, I'm a fourth generation Japanese American, so I, I didn't have as much of the stigma of, you know, focusing on academics and, and things like that. Truly grew up, you know, as as in a, you know, a young a young player in America and playing sports and um, and actually, my dad grew up playing American football um, here in the U.S., and so soccer was a little bit foreign to him. Uh, my mom actually immigrated from Portugal, so soccer was more her family type thing. Every time I stepped onto the field, though, I, I definitely, my Japanese-American comes through a lot more than my Portuguese aside. And, uh, you know, a lot of people just, you know, sometimes some comments about, hey, maybe you'd be better focusing on the classroom than being here on the soccer field and things like that. I grew up a little bit overseas as well. And just the stigma of between, you know, the the Caucasian uh, Europeans and the Asians um, that lived there. And, hey, you know, we're not going to play with you guys. You know, go go do that. Go do your own thing. Um, so definitely faced a lot of that. And so like Gary said, I think it's just showing people that it's possible, right? A couple of weeks ago, I was teaching a C license and have a young lady that's in my group, in my instructor group that... Uh, She's a Asian Pacific Islander. She did not know we had a coaching community in United Soccer Coaches. She didn't know that there was opportunities for us to get together, to meet with each other. Also opportunities for scholarships and grants to pursue coaching education or getting to the the convention. So I think seeing people in these roles and acknowledging our heritage and connecting people, that's been um, a great part of the coaching community that we've started here at United Soccer Coaches. What a great story to tell. I'm especially surprised that she wasn't aware because I do think from the women's point of view, if you can see it, you can be it. When you think about two examples come right up, right off the top of my head, and that's Tiffany Roberts Sahedic, but me even bigger, Marguerite Alazasa, who in her first season won a national championship at UCLA, who has always been an advocate for the API soccer coaches community and has been very open about API heritage month so we're seeing these women get it done i'm so glad that a shoe put both of you on from the men's point of view you know we do see neil and binghamton but we probably don't see enough and i think i'll go back to you garish on that as well here you are coaching men and women at westminster college pa and probably not enough people that look like me that have a platform to talk about these things I need to know that because you're out there doing it every day. So the women, maybe a step ahead, the men need to close that gap. Is that fair to say? Dean, it's it's been a long road. And uh, sometimes uh, the the women are given sometimes some opportunities that maybe the men might not be given, especially people of our backgrounds. That I think that might be a cultural thing. That might be something that maybe uh, you know needs to be uh, uh, educated with, within the college environment and the hiring processes, et cetera. But um, we've been very fortunate that we have a lot of women that have been involved in uh, coaching at the highest level. Sometimes they've been given opportunities as assistant coaches and GAs. And, you know, so they've moved up the ladder 
very quickly. And these these young, these women are very talented and have shown that. You know, uh, on the men's side, it's been maybe a little bit of a grind. It's been a little bit harder to get into uh, some spots, and that's what you know. One of the things that we are trying to do is to educate not just uh, coaches but also college uh, athletic directors, presidents. That we there are people like us out there that. You know, you can you can look at they've done a lot of good things. So uh, that's part of the education part as well. You know, and um, and uh, we we're slowly making ways. We have a lot of now college assistant coaches are getting there, uh, and we encourage ourselves to hey, if you have an opening for a GA or assistant coach, look around you, look in our community because there's lots of coaches that are you know young coaches are getting involved. You both have been outstanding, but I would like to get to know both of you better. Jeremy Tosaya, I mentioned that you work with next college student athlete out of Omaha, Nebraska. I'm not exactly sure what that is. I know the acronym is NCSA. Tell us a little bit about what you do every day, Jeremy, and how you found that job. I coach college soccer for 18 years. Um, I've been a state director of two different states. Um, so I've been very involved in soccer throughout my life. And during COVID, the college that I was at shut down, decided to make the decision to close permanently. My wife is from the state of Nebraska. We had just, I mean, I'd just only been at that college for two and a half years. So I didn't want to move the family again. Um, you know, and had other job offers, Texas, Missouri, North Dakota, Memphis. But um, so, yeah, so next college student athlete, we're part of the IMG Academy family. We help high school student athletes that want to look for college opportunities and recruiting. So I get to work with young uh, men specifically. I'm on the men's soccer side, get to just coach them through the recruiting process, them and their families. Um, so I've been doing that for about three years now. That's awesome. And where can people learn more about NCSA? Yeah. So our, our website is ncsasports.org. We're pretty heavy on social media, both Twitter and Instagram. NCSA soccer is our handle. Um, so they can find out more from there. Um, if people have questions for me specifically, and I'm still involved in the coaching education space and I'm um, still involved with the Olympic development program, things like that. Also took on a job as a local high school coach. So that's been a new adventure for me, coaching high school students. Um, that was uh, very eye opening this year. But uh, yeah, so I, my my handle is Coach Tosaya. Um, that's also on uh, Twitter and Instagram as well. Okay. And then also, Garish, tell us how long you've been the head men's and women's soccer coach at Westminster College PA, and maybe a little bit more. What did you do before you landed in Pennsylvania? As I got excited when you said you were a D3, because my wife is a Franklin and Marshall graduate. And by the way, she's full of Portuguese too, by the way. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, Portuguese is a Portugal is a lovely country. I've been there many times. What a, what a place to go to. Well, I've been uh, coaching now for about 30 years in the collegiate level. Um, I started my coaching at my alma mater, Slippery Rock University. I don't know if you're familiar with The Rock. Yeah, uh, well, of course. And uh, a very good phys ed school and uh, very good uh, in the sciences. So I was the head coach there uh, for the men's program before I came here to, uh, to Westminster College. Uh, where I've been here for like 25 years now. Actually, tomorrow's uh, employee recognition for 20, for five years at a time. So 25 years and still going strong. But uh, I've been coaching now the men's team for 25 years. And about 17 years ago, I was thrown uh, the women's team for, for one season when uh, when a coach couldn't make it in August. And they said, hey, just do this for a season and see what happens. <laughs> And so uh, we're a very successful uh, program, won uh, the conference title that year. In fact, both teams did. And so 
they just said, hey, take it over. If you can do it, do it for another year. And then it's been 17 years now that I've been coaching both teams. I'm very heavily involved in uh, the, the college ranks, you know, involved in the, you know, the N- the NCA committees, things like that, the national committee and uh, the regional committees, things like that, rankings committees. Uh, so um, a lot on my plate, but I love it. I love uh, the coaching aspect. I like, love working with young people. Um so I've been doing this, like I said, for 25 years, um, been uh, involved in the ODP program, some of the USC coaching um, certifications that we we do in the summer. It's been a great opportunity. Um, there was trials and tribulations working at the college level. I think I might be one of the only coaches left now that coach both teams and uh, probably the, one of the only uh, Asian coaches that coach, uh, head coach at men's and women's. It's been a good ride. And it's, it's I'm, I'm taking now the opportunity of sharing the the experience and the history that I have with young people. Well, very much. Both of you have multiple jobs and are doing multiple things. And I think it's making you younger. It's kind of like Benjamin buttoned you both because you both look outstanding with more on your plate. And you're not done there because you're also vice chairs in the Asian soccer coaches community under a shoe who I think the world of, obviously, I've said his name like five times. So um, there's a reason why I always give him this platform. But there's also a reason why he picked you Uh, both of you to jump up as vice chairs in the API soccer coaches community. I'll let you both talk about why you gladly accepted that role and why you felt it was important to accept that role. We got together with Ashu and uh, probably about six or seven people that are involved in coaching uh, about two years ago uh, when we we wanted to put this together, this community. And uh, some of the coaches were college coaches, high school, some people were involved in the professional level. And everyone really had the same goal, which is let's go out there and spread the word. Let's get people involved. Uh, let's get this group going. And we went from six people to, uh, I believe, close to 300 now uh, in the last two years. So it's been a, it's a good ride. Every time we have people joining, uh, new people are joining. Our, our, our committee, our leadership committee, which you, you mentioned, uh, we have different roles outside of the coaching education for me. I'm also involved in the USC's awards part of it. So like I'll, I'll go to the Hall of Fame awards committee meetings, things like that. And and that's another part that we need to get more people involved in that. We don't we haven't had many award winners or Hall of Famers uh, that are apart from from our background. So we everyone has a, a voice that we're trying to share with others. So that's kind of why I got involved. And since then, it's just grown. You know, we've had so many people join and every time someone goes out to the fields where we're practicing or we're playing at a tournament. Anyone that looks like us, we grab them and, hey, you got to join, you know? So that's what we've been trying to do. And uh, we're hoping that things like this, you know, gets the word out there and then say, hey, you got to join, you got to join, you know? So uh, that's what we're trying to do. Great answer. Jeremy, can you also add on? Working with the education side of things, just trying to promote. Um, Last year, you know, we were trying to get some coaches to take advantage of the grants um, from the USC Foundation and, uh, you know, represent uh, the API community at coaching education. Um, And so, you know, I think one of the things that we're also looking at is potentially doing some trips together as a community. Um, You know, this last year, working with uh, the Japanese Federation when they came to the convention, um, you know, so constantly just trying to uh, just to educate and just show people we have something to offer as a community uh, and that uh, there are some great individuals uh, like Garish and like Ashu that have brought a lot of value and trying to spread that um, specifically from an education standpoint, trying to help 
advance younger coaches and connect them with some of these other coaches and some of these other ideas so they can progress in their careers. Uh, and hopefully we can have, you know, a little bit more of a, a stake in the, the growth of the game here in the United States and internationally. So I'm actually instructing at one of the advanced nationals this summer, actually here in Omaha, Nebraska. And so just trying to get more of our coaches uh, aware that we're hosting these and that there's educators and instructors like Garish and myself that are, are teaching some of these. Both of you, great answers. The United Soccer Coaches dedicating the entire month of API Heritage Month to Ashu and the API Soccer Coaches community. I call this my last word or in case you missed it question. And that is, and we'll start with you, Jeremy. If people heard nothing about what you had to say about API Heritage Month, about the API Soccer Coaches community, and about United Soccer Coaches wrapping your arms around the API soccer coaches community, except this final soundbite, what do you want to leave everybody listening with? The API cultures are beautiful. I mean, it can add so much to our sport and add so much to our communities, just as people here in the US, um, just in general. And for me, honestly, the biggest thing about this month is to celebrate the beauty of the differences that between each other. It's not just even focusing on API, but you know, what is, what can, how much better can our country and our communities and our sport be if we embrace each other and embrace those differences and the beauty of those differences. And Garish, your last word, in case you missed it, comment as we end our conversation. Well, Dean, it's a great opportunity for us to uh, talk to you and get and use this platform as a way of spreading our API Heritage Month. So thank you for that. We just want to maximize the time and the the, the information we could share with people and our cultures. There's so much to uh, learn from all our cultures. So this is just a great opportunity for us to share that. And um, I look forward to meeting people, anyone that wants to involve. And, you know, we have people that are not API Pacific Islanders or Asians that are involved in our community. So we, we welcome everyone that wants to learn our heritage and our culture. Two wonderful guests. Just closing it out right there was Garish Thakar, the head men's and women's soccer coach at Westminster College in Pennsylvania, D3 programs. And then also Jeremy Tasaya, the senior recruiting coordinator for NCSA, the next college student athlete out of Omaha, Nebraska. Garish and Jeremy, outstanding. As you said, you would be. And he may have underestimated. You were better than outstanding. Well done to both of you. And thanks for being on as part of our coverage of API Heritage Month on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dean. It's my pleasure, and all the thanks go to the API Soccer Coaches community, Ashu, and the wonderful guests that he has provided each and every week. We will round out API Heritage Month next week with the aforementioned Tiffany roberts Sahedi. We're not done. Amanda Vandervoort, former president of United Soccer Coaches and a major player with the USL had a big announcement regarding women's professional soccer just a couple days ago. Amanda Vandervoort will break that down when we return. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform. From robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations, League Apps saves you time and headaches. Less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast.
Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. As I mentioned already in the open on Tuesday, the USL Super League announced the initial group of markets that will make world-class professional women's soccer accessible for more players, more fans, and more communities across the United States. Set to kick off in August 2024, the USL Super League intends to launch as a first division league reflecting its commitment to the highest standards in American soccer and a collective vision to be a global leader in women's soccer on and off the field. The USL Super League will follow U.S. soccer's sanctioning process. And as I mentioned in the open, we're joined by one of our favorites, one of the association's favorites, truly one of everybody's favorite. We're talking about Amanda Vandervoort, the USL Super League president, who does have a tendency to make me laugh. So I apologize in advance. Amanda, great to be with you. Dean, you are my favorite too. So thank you. <laughs> and I love, you know, I love the association with all my heart. And it is a pleasure and a delight to be with you today. <laughs> All right. Before we dig in, I do have to admit every Friday night when I host that banquet, there's always one moment where you make <laughs> eye contact with me and I never know if I can hold it together, Amanda. <laughs> I think it's my personal mission on the Friday night banquet to make you laugh. I, that's All what right. I'm committed to it every year. See, now it's out. Now, now, you know, Dean, I'm intentionally trying to make you giggle when I'm sat at that table watching you. You, you do a great banquet, by the way. Well, you, you, bring you and Ray are absolute legends. I appreciate that. Well, you bring great joy. You always do. You always bring a big smile to my face. And I got to admit, the announcement on Tuesday also brought a great smile to my face because I know what it means for women's soccer. As you know, I've been an ambassador for women's soccer for a long, long time, dating back to 1989 when my first camp was with Anson and the team preparing for the 1991 World Championship in China. But in your own words, Amanda, what does this announcement mean for soccer in the United States? What an opportunity we have. I mean, there really is a gap in the professional soccer landscape for um, you know, women across this country to compete as, as athletes, as players, um, but also for coaches, for administrators, executives, podcasters, media. I mean, the, the USL Super League launching in, in, you know, next fall, like you said, in the open with 10 to 12 teams in our first season will, uh, you know, break open opportunities for, for more women and more communities um, across America. Before we get to the big D1 question, which I think is awesome that that is what you are going for, this is the United Soccer Coaches podcast. You know all about it as a past president and somebody that served the eight years or however many years you have to serve. But I feel like this league is definitely talking directly to coaches and maybe more specifically to female coaches. Am I right about that? Uh, I think the opportunity to... Um, you know, not only provide jobs for more female coaches, but create the pathway for them to, you know, advance their education, um, become that elite coach that they've maybe wanted to be, but haven't had the opportunities. Um, absolutely. We, we would love to see more women coaching and, and hopefully that this platform delivers. Why, Amanda, has the USL Super League decided to pursue Division One? sanctioning that is the question of the day i think yeah listen at the end of the day we are holding ourselves accountable to the highest standards in american soccer and that's the division one level I, I mean u.s soccer in and of itself is not a tiered system it's a standardized system division one standards are what we're holding ourselves accountable to i don't know 
um, any other way we would do it. Our owners are ambitious. They're building amazing stadiums across this country, and we want to be a global leader in the game. Why wouldn't we hold ourselves to the highest standards? The initial markets for the inaugural 24 season are Charlotte, North Carolina, Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas, Lexington, Kentucky, Phoenix, Arizona, Spokane, Washington, Tampa Bay, Florida, Tucson, Arizona, Washington, D.C., followed by initial markets for subsequent seasons listed as Chattanooga, Tennessee, Indianapolis, Indiana, Jacksonville, Florida, Madison, Wisconsin, Oakland, California. As somebody that's been around USL a long time, all of those markets ring true to me. But why don't we hear it from you? Why these markets and why right now? The markets are incredible. The fan bases in those markets are ready for more soccer. They're ready for women's soccer. Um, and the commitment of the ownership groups in every one of those cities is, is, is unbelievable. So um, I think every one of those markets is, is, is ready to, to you know, embrace their women's professional team. And there'll be more markets to come. So uh, we'll be announcing more in the coming weeks and months and, and certainly you know, working over the next 15 months to, to get this league up and running. So why now? Oh, we're ready. We're ready. Let's go. We need more women's <laughs> soccer. Why not yesterday is my question. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You're always so fun. You know, <laughs> the Tuesday announcement, I think, really created quite a buzz. And before we say goodbye, as you reflect on Tuesday, moving into Wednesday, moving into to today, the release of the United Soccer Coaches podcast, how are you feeling? How's your staff feeling? How are all these markets feeling, Amanda? Oh, gosh. Uh, I'll start with the staff because they have been unbelievable. Um Listen, when you're trying to get 15 markets and 15 ownership groups all aligned on on getting an announcement like out, out the door, it's a it's it's quite an effort. And the staff here and at every one of our clubs, I just want to say a big thank you and a big congratulations because they uh, worked their 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 them, themselves like so hard and and so <laughs> they worked their tails off. You can they're, say it. they're just as excited as I am, and that energy just pulses through the entire organization right now. It is. I I had so many staff, you know, say to me yesterday, owners calling me, staff at clubs are calling me up, like just how proud they are of the commitment of the USL and how professionally I thought, I thought it, it went yesterday. Um, the feedback uh, across the soccer community has been unbelievable. The welcome, the excitement, the energy, um, you know, I think we've got a lot of building to do is how today I'm feeling like I, my checklist is really long on, on what's next. Um, but that's the exciting part you know, um, is, is really doing this the right way and, and making sure that we have, um, you know, we include the right people, you know, or all, all the people who want to be part of this league. I think when you talk about the, you know, the history of the game, you know, you talk about Anson, you talk about your experience, 91, we look at 95 and 99 and the, 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 the history of this, the, this game, like I want everyone to be involved in the future of women's soccer. And I think the Super League is an incredible platform and opportunity to embrace and engage um, everyone in soccer in this country. And I'm excited to build it together. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about how important it is to partner or have the support of United Soccer Coaches. Oh, you, I listen, United Soccer Coaches is, is my heart and soul. I love this organization. I love 
Me personally have always felt supported by the association. It's, it's helped me grow into the person I am today. I would not be sitting here had it not been for United Soccer Coaches um, and the amazing people that I've met along the way. So um, the support of, of United Soccer Coaches working with the organization in the future between the USL and the organization is something near and dear to my heart that I'm really looking forward to. Um, and, um, I'm just, I'm, I'm thankful to know that there's a community of, of, of coaches who are committed to the future of the game, the development of their players and their own careers and ambitions. We're here with Amanda Vandervoort, the USL Super League president, big announcement on Tuesday, stating that the initial group of markets that will make world-class professional women's soccer accessible for more players, more fans, and more communities across the United States will kick off on August 2024. You can go to their website at uslsuperleague.com. I also want to promote social media, Amanda. Is there some special social media sites people can go to to follow what's what's kicking with USL Super League? Dean, I feel like we've had, you know, social media is is in our blood, right? We've been talking social media, I think, since the first day I met you. So, of course, Twitter, Super League, it's USL Super League on Twitter, USL Super League on Instagram. Um, those are probably the main ones I would send you to right now. And we're going to start building all our content on all those other sites, TikTok and all, all the rest, but definitely the website is a, uh, is a good shout uslsuperleague.com because you go there and then you can get to all the other cities and the markets where our clubs are too. Congratulations on this big announcement and all you're doing to push the game forward, especially on the women's side, Amanda Vandervoort, former president of the association and the USL Super League president with a big announcement just a couple days ago. Thanks so much for jumping in on this week's United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you, Dean. Thanks, everyone. Amanda Vandervoort, always super positive, and that's why we love her. Talking about people we love, Tree Beckman, who has been a star of the training ground. She's written another story, and Tree Beckman will break down that story when we return. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, and welcome back to the training ground where we have a regular and a favorite, Teresa Tree Beckman, a true North sports team specialist, a team culture specialist. She has written another story for the training ground. It is called Accountability is a No Shame Zone. And right off the top, she has a pulled quote from Brene Brown that says, quote, you cannot shame or belittle people into changing their behavior. Let's start with that tree as we welcome you back in. Good to see you. Hey, good to see you too, Dean. That quotes, that's saying something, right? This whole article is based on a story that actually happened to me while I was, uh, you know, doing the work that I do. And I was with a pretty major club in the opposite corner of the country that I live in. And that's all I'll say about that because it gets a little sticky in, in these rooms sometimes when I'm working with people. And I just think sometimes as coaches, our shame kind of spills out on the people that we're leading. And it's, I think over time, we've normalized that in a, a really unfortunate way. And it doesn't help performance at all. But, you know, if you're in a classroom and a student doesn't understand a math problem, we're not yelling at that person, right? 
Uh, but in sport, it's been, it's kind of been, um, I don't know, normalized that we yell at our players when, when they don't understand something we're trying to teach them. And, and generally speaking, in my experience, at least, and I'm guilty of it too. That's why I can and speak to it. But generally speaking, the person we're maddest at is ourselves. And so this article kind of gets into why that's so toxic and, and, and how accountability can look different. The name of the article again is accountability is a no shame zone. Tree, you write so well, you always have great subtitles, subject lines, and then you break them down. So we're going to do the same thing. You have three of them. We'll start with coaching, how we were coached. Celia Slater, who is the, the brains and the visionary behind True North Sports, which is the, uh, you know, the entity that I'm, I'm kind of associated with the Soccer Coaches Association through, she says it best uh, in a talk that she gives sometimes. She's like, just because you were in third grade doesn't make you qualified to teach third grade. Yet for so many coaches, that's exactly how we get our training. And because of that, we often coach how we were coached. And just because we were coached that way, it doesn't make it right. And we're learning more things. And, you know, coaching as a profession, and, and I know that not every listener who's listening to this podcast, it's their absolute like sole profession, but there are a lot of people who it is their sole profession. As a profession, it's relatively, I mean, it's really young. It's, it's, it's in its infantile stages. One of the projects that I'm working on with the Soccer Coaches Association is actually, we've created a credentialing program for coaches. Um, right now it's for NCAA coaches. It's all that stuff, that humaning stuff, right? Yeah, you can you can do X's and O's like crazy and you can teach that to, you know, to the end of the day, but I'm sorry, most of the things that get in the way of us having great teams and making, you know, serious impact on people's lives have everything to do with human connection and accountability and discipline and all of those things. And because we coach how we were coached, because there's no alternative training program, we have to be really careful that we allow ourselves to evolve as a profession. And so we got to stop coaching how we were coached because we only have a limited experience or a limited knowledge of our own experience as well. Repetition is information. The name of the article, again, is accountability is a no shame zone. Three great subject lines. You just heard three break down coaching, how we were coached. The next one is stop the spill. So that one I'm talking about, you know, the spill of shame. Uh, so often when coaches are coaching, like I kind of alluded to at the beginning, our shame just sort of spills out on our players. Now, uh, a coach that I work with who I used to actually be on her staff pointed this out. Tia Brandel is her name. She's a volleyball coach at Ferris State University. And we were talking about this, uh, just the subject in general. And she said, you know, it occurs to me, there's two kinds of, of shame. There's coaches who actually use the tool of shame to try to change behavior. And Brene Brown has, Dr. Brene Brown, by the way, if your listeners aren't aware of her, she is gold. Like she's a gold mine, everything she touches. She's a, a shame researcher, essentially, um, from Texas. And she's got the most watched TED Talk in the history of TED Talks. Like she's amazing. She talks about, you really can't, like that opening quote says, you really can't shame somebody into changed behavior. It's just not a very effective way of doing it. Tia point, pointed out to me, she's like, there's two types. Our own shame accidentally spilling out on our players. And then there's coaches who actually actively use shame in the leading of their players. And I think both are bad. But in this particular instance, I am trying to point out and attack that accidental spillage. If we're not aware of our own shame triggers, if we're not aware of, you know, the things that make us feel less than or inadequate, it's really easy 
for our shame to spill out and our frustrations to go to our players. And I've seen it time and time again. And just that, just the level of self-awareness, it's just so critical to becoming the very best coach that you can, because it's the only way you can stop the spill. I'm glad you mentioned again, Dr. Brene Brown. There are two resources after you get done reading this incredible article by Tree. One is a book written by Tree called Managing Your Culture. And then the aforementioned Dr. Brene Brown has also written a book called Gifts of Imperfection. And there's also a link provided on the Training Ground article where you can directly go to those two resources, those two books. Your final subtitle, a little bit longer, but it's called A Better Way. And we're all looking for a better way, Tree. Yeah, and this is where I try to do that thing that you love. And this is all for you, Dean. I just try to give people some sort of a list of actions, right? And so, you know, that first one is like, you know, I started off with do as I say, not as I do has always been a terrible way to lead. But with this generation, the modern athlete today, I think it's a complete deal breaker. They are absolutely... Uh, intolerable to coaches who coach and lead in that way. Unless you're, you've already gotten a thousand wins under your belt, you can kind of get away with those things. But man, if you're, if you're not, they're calling us up to, to model better behavior. And I'm here for it. I don't, I'm not mad about that. So you really got to walk your talk. And so that's the first one. And then the second one was the, the clear boundaries. Like accountability isn't just calling your players out and it's not teammates calling each other out. That's, that's toxic. That's shaming and blaming. Accountability is setting really crystal clear boundaries and then holding your players or staff or whatever, the people that you're leading, holding them to those boundaries. And I, I use the analogy of Pike's Peak. If you've ever driven up Pike's Peak in a car, it's like nine, 10 miles and it takes a long time. It takes like over an hour, two hours, right? Why? Because they don't have guardrails. I mean, they have them like on the curves, but they don't have them all the way up and it's a switchback and you're, for, you're going up to 14,000 feet of altitude, right? And if you had those guardrails, you could certainly travel faster, but there aren't any, so it's scary. And that's how your players feel when you don't have clear boundaries for your team. The clearer the boundaries can be, and the more consistent you are with calling your players up to those boundaries and, and keeping them within, the safer they'll feel, the better the, the, they'll be able to make risks, the, the faster they'll grow, the quicker you, you'll get them to their potential. So I think walking your talk and creating and, and holding clear boundaries are the two least toxic, most important ways to create the least toxic accountability possible. Putting a capper on this discussion for the training ground, a new article submitted by Tree Beckman. Accountability is a no shame zone. She has been very good about giving credit where credit is due, including giving credit to Dr. Brene Brown's book, The Gifts of Imperfection, where she talks about boundaries in a way that you believe should be required reading for all coaches. And in it, she says, quote, one of the greatest and least discussed barriers to compassion Practice is the fear of setting boundaries and holding people accountable. And she goes on to say, there's a podcast episode that that she did on, on her podcast, Dare to Lead. All of her podcast episodes are still there, but the, the podcast isn't running to, to today, but it's still all of the things are there. But she talks about it. I'm going to paraphrase her, but she says, you know, the thing that comes out of her research and her data is that right now, more than anything, people are craving braver leadership and braver cultures. 
And it's harder than ever because we're sort of in a cancel culture mode. And so it really does require you to be brave to lead in this way. I know as a coach, sometimes it can be scary to hold people accountable because you're afraid of the squeaky wheel. You're afraid of the, the parental phone call, right? The people that you are leading, I promise you, they are craving that kind of bravery more than anything else. But it has to be clear and it has to be without the cloud of your shame. So if you can be aware of where your shame triggers are and kind of erase those just through self-knowledge from getting in the way, that's where coaches get into trouble, right? With accountability is they let their shame spill out. They hold people accountable kind of unfairly and then they get canceled or whatever, right? And so Brene just kind of talks about it in this way, like, hey, we, you just got to be clear. You got to be consistent and we have to make sure that it's not coming from the wrong place. I always feel happier when I talk to you and I definitely feel braver and I definitely feel accountable. The story is called Accountability is a No Shame Zone. Check it out on the training ground and we'll have more visits with Tree over the next several months as she continues to make the training ground great. Tree, you're outstanding. Always a pleasure. Thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Always my pleasure, Dean. Always my pleasure. I, I leave you feeling the same way, man. Tree Beckman rocks and so does our 30 Under 30 program. We meet another member of this current class, Alex Durbin, after these messages. Introducing the first ever CoachCon, presented by Soccer.com in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada, August 11th through the 13th. Register now to experience distinct coaching education from top-level professionals and earn a special topics diploma in game analysis or organizational leadership. Spots are extremely limited. Register today at unitedsoccercoaches.org slash CoachCon. Welcome back to another jam-packed edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by League Apps. We end with my favorite part of the show as we meet another member of our 30 Under 30 class. Today we meet Alex Durbin, who is the current head women's coach at Dort University in Iowa. He played college at Dort. He was a USL League Two player, and he just completed his U.S. Soccer National C license. We'll learn about that and so much more as we welcome in Alex Durbin. Alex, great to be with you. Dude, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, so Alex, first off, you're already a head coach under the age of 30. You're at Dort University in Iowa. So do me a favor, tell me about Dort University, what division it is, and then tell me how awesome that is to be a head coach already. Dort University, we're a small private Christian university in the northwest quadrant of, of Iowa. I mean, we could probably throw a rock into Nebraska, South Dakota, and, and Minnesota. That's how close we are in the corner. So Dort's a pretty special place. Like you said, I had spent my four years here with my undergrad. I had spent two years afterwards as a graduate assistant getting my master's. And now I've stepped into a head coach role. So been around Dort, which is wild, now 10 years. I started my freshman year back in 2013. Now we're sitting here in 2023. And if you would have told me my freshman freshman year at Dort that I would have stuck around afterwards, I probably would have told you you're crazy. So God usually has some different plans for us. So excited about the opportunity to, to be a head coach. I mean, I took over three years ago. I'm heading into year four, which is also crazy to think about. It's been such an amazing opportunity and, and Dort's such a, a unique place to be able to coach. Again, we're looking for a very specific type of student athlete. I want to grow our soccer program. Like you said, I've played a fairly high level. My dream was to play professionally. And as those days started to get shorter and shorter, I, I got into coaching a little bit. And to be able to coach at my alma mater uh, is something that's definitely special. And to have a athletic director that's uh, above me that hired me to give me this opportunity and working for him has been absolutely phenomenal. 
Name of the athletic director is? Ross Dalman took over. I think he took over my senior year or my transition out of my senior year. So 2017, 2018, he's done a phenomenal job kind of flipping our athletic department as a whole. Dort has always been fairly high in, in a lot of our sports. So a lot of our primary sports, I'd probably say that we've been longevity wise, fairly talented at men's and women's basketball, women's volleyball. Our men's volleyball team this past year was nationally ranked. And we've had a lot of our success over the past year and over the past really three years since he taken over has been really cool. And I think one of the main things that he provided was a sense of clarity um, in what we're doing. We have something called the Defender Way, which were the Dort Defenders. So the Defender Way is something Ross Dalma implemented back in 2017 as like a, a mission and a vision of what do we want Dort, both the, our athletes and athletics to look like. And it really comes down to four different things. One, we wanted to make sure that we're uh, living out the Great Commission, making disciples of all nations as God has called us to. Two, making sure that us as college coaches are equipping our student athletes to be great leaders and servant leaders in, in whatever field they're going into, whether that be sports, whether that be nursing, engineering, business, pre-med, you name it. We want to make sure that we are equipping our student athletes to be great individuals and are going to be leaders in their field. The third one is obviously the academic piece, making sure that we're doing a really good from a, an academic standpoint. Our team GPA the past few years, when I took over, we were at 3.76, which was number one in the nation for NAIA uh, in women's soccer. The year after women's soccer, we were at 3.75, and I think this past year we were at 3.7. So uh, to have a team GPA uh, that's that high. Again, our, our, our student athletes are doing really well in the classroom. And then that last be part of the Defender Way focused on the pursuit of championships. Not that I put it at the, the top of my focus, but at the end of the day, I want to create a program that's going to be a winning program that also does it the right way. I don't ever want to get back to an NAI national tournament. Dort women's soccer hasn't won a postseason game since 2010. I want to get us back to that point, but I also don't want to, I don't want to do it at the cost of those other things, the faith side, the academic piece, those things have got to continue to be there. Um, and finding students that, that love Jesus and also want to play a high level of soccer. Uh, those, those individuals are out there, but it's, uh, it's sometimes finding a needle in a haystack. Just confirm what division and what conference Dort is in. Yes, sir. So we're an NAI program and we are in the Great Plains Athletic Conference. We're here with Alex Durbin, who is the head women's coach at Dort University. He just so eloquently explained that he's been at Dort since 2013, first as a player and now four years already as the head coach, despite being a member of our 30 under 30 class. Well done you to accomplish so much at such a young age. Did you know you had that in you? Like, I mean, let's say when you're 14, 15, when, you know, I'm thinking about what I'm ordering at McDonald's, are you thinking that uh, you, you know, you wanted to accomplish something great at a young age? Yeah, I don't think I ever really knew I was going to get into coaching. And it's funny that you say that now looking back, uh, I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, so I'm a Midwest kid at heart. And I played under uh, Mike Dean, who was a phenomenal, uh, a phenomenal coach through my most of my childhood. I was never our top athlete in our team my, my 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 club team went on to win like five state championships back to back to back made it fairly far into regionals a couple times never eventually made it to nationals but I was never a, a top athlete in in our club team I was usually a bench player and I uh, was always listening to coach I was sitting probably closest to him and I just heard the things he was saying even the things that he didn't say to the team that he's maybe just said under his breath or just things that he wanted us to to live out uh, I was there sitting there and, and a lot of the times he'd always be like, man, you, you're just very smart in the game. And I was like, well, most of the time I'm just trying to listen to you as sitting on the sideline. So as I got uh, and I was a, I was a late bloomer, so I didn't really start growing and developing probably until my senior year of, of high school. And, and I probably didn't peak until college athletically. But uh, I think those opportunities early on of me just being able to sit on the sideline and, and listen to my, my club coach, um, I think a lot of that 
helped me from a soccer, uh, I guess you could say a soccer IQ sense of, of just being able to learn the game. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of my game of, of my coaching ability, I think could, could be tracked all the way back to those, those, those club days in, in Omaha. I have emceed a lot of events and talked to a lot of coaches and I feel like more and more the top coaches are talking not about the importance of, for instance, Dabinia or Denise O'Sullivan as I relate to the North Carolina Courage, but they're talking about player number 19, 20, and 21, about having that complete buy-in. Do you feel the same way, Alex Durbin? Yeah, it's funny you actually say that. So we just went through uh, the Dort women's team. We just went through the book, uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. Uh, this spring, and uh, it, it kind of talks about the, the top piece of the, the pyramid talks about uh, attention to results and if there's an ambiguity of what you're looking to try to achieve. So we actually just went through our, our entire handbook. I, I kind of uh, clarified it. I, I simplified it a little bit. And one of our guiding principles is buying in 100%. Uh, whether you're a starter, whether you're a, a bench player that maybe gets five to 10 minutes a game, whether you're a bench player that gets zero minutes, uh, or in our sense, we have this past year, we had 47 athletes in our program. So we have a varsity as well as a JV program, whether you're number 47 on the depth chart and you're just looking to potentially get some JV games, I want you to buy into what your role is. And, and yeah, I mean, I could have looked back to those, those club days for myself and been irritated that I wasn't getting minutes. That I wasn't on the field, whatever, again, buy into what your role is. And my role at the time was to sit there and learn and be able to eventually apply. And eventually I got back on the field. I think I ended up becoming a starter, probably my senior year of, of high school. And we made a fairly large run, which then allowed me to probably have some college opportunities. And then I uh, had some really good college seasons going into my junior and senior year, which eventually led me to have some opportunities at the, the semi-professional level down in Kansas City. So, um, yeah, again, the the and you've asked other 30 under 30 candidate members, where do you see yourself? And I'm probably stealing your thunder. You're probably going to ask me that here in a little bit. Go ahead. Uh, it's like I try to plan. Yeah, I've always tried to plan, and my plan never ends up panning out anyway. It's like I, just sometimes just letting go and trusting that God's got something a lot bigger for us is, is something that we got to do. All right, so I'm going to have that as your answer, that you're going to kind of let it breathe and – and 15 years from now, wherever God puts you, you're going to be happy. Yeah, and that's the thing. I, obviously, I have I have goals. I have aspirations of what I like to do. I've only known the NAIA from the coaching side. I guess I, co I coached one year uh, of high school uh, back in 2018. Um, but I've only known the NAI life from the college side. And uh, I think I'd eventually love to, to see what the NCAA side has, whether that's be a division two, being an assistant, or even a division one assistant, and just seeing what that life is like. But right now, uh, man, I, I, I've, and again, I've just loved the opportunities that I've had here at Dort. Dort has taken a chance on me. Again, I was 25 years old when they hired me to be a head coach. I'd like to think I knew what I was doing back then, and, and boy, did I not. And I think a lot of the, the three to four years that I've had here at Dort of just really being able to grow, invest into our student athletes. And that's the thing. I think it all comes back to creating a great player experience. I look back to my four years playing here at Dort and how transformational it was for me and the opportunities that are provided and just creating a cool player experience. And hopefully, yes, I want to, I want to win games along the way. I want to get back to having Dort be uh, top two in our, in our conference, which it would be competitive. If we're finishing top two in our conference, we're, we're, we're probably receiving votes to be ranked or if not, we are ranked uh, nationally. And that's going to take some time uh, sitting in, sitting in year three right now, going into year four. Uh, we've made a lot of progress in the, the, the developmental side and the, the soccer side, uh, but there's still a long way to go for sure. Alex Durbin, I've also had the great honor of doing the Vision of a Champion podcast with Anson Dorrance, and he very distinctly talks about the difference between 
coaching men and women. When did you make the switch to coaching women and how much do you enjoy coaching women? Yeah, I don't know if there was ever just a conscious like thought like, oh, I want to stay on the women's side or only do the women's side. I think that was the opportunities that was was presented. And and yeah, I've absolutely loved it. Um, my wife and I, we met here at Dort. That would have been back in 2016, I believe. And now we're married and we actually just had our first child. So we got a four month at whole home. And uh, I've loved uh, even just conversating with her and having conversations about uh, the women's side and uh, and, and to be fair, I'm still learning how to coach women. And I think my wife is probably my biggest mentor in that and being able to, to make sure that I'm saying the right things and speaking the right things into these, these young women. So I don't know if there was ever a moment that I was like, oh, there's a light bulb. I want to coach on the women's side. I, I think it, I just found a lot of joy in doing so. And I think they're very uh, eager to listen, eager to learn. And they are very good. I think women are a lot better at men of being able to listen and simply just apply something rather than trying to say, okay, no, I'm going to try to add it to be my way or do it, do it a certain different way than, than coach coach wanted me to. And they do a phenomenal job. So uh, no coaching these women at Dort has been a, an absolute joy. And they've been a lot of fun to, to be able to experience these first four years of my, my young coaching career uh, in doing so. As also somebody who's been married a long time and has a couple kids, I always Make sure I say their names, Alex Durbin. So you have a wife and you have a four-month-old. How about hearing their names as well? Yes, sir. So my wife's name is Sydney. And then uh, our four-month-old, or uh, about to be four-month-old, his name is Beckham. And I better put a plug in that everybody thinks that Beckham, I'm a Manchester United fan. Everybody thinks that I'm naming my son after a soccer player. My wife, not that she doesn't like soccer. She just, uh, soccer is not her her focus. And if, she, yeah, she's not an individual that's going to let me name our son after a soccer player. So that this name actually came from her. And um, and now, did I disagree with it? Absolutely not. If, if, if Beckham is it, then Beckham's it. So, um, yeah, he's been a joy. It's been, yeah, that's been a whirlwind. The past four months has been crazy. Uh, learning to try to be a dad uh, while also, um, yeah, try to run a program. And it's been awesome that uh, coaching on the women's side actually helps me from a, a parent at home that we have a lot of built-in babysitters that uh, yeah. they would love to be, be able to babysit and let mom and dad uh, have a, a date night out. So that's been fun as well. Well, on behalf of the association, congratulations on the birth of young Beckham and certainly wishing your wife and him well. Clearly education is important too. You already have a U.S. soccer national C license. I think maybe I heard you didn't attend the convention because of the birth of your baby, but hopefully you'll attend conventions in the future and continue to gain more education from United Soccer Coaches. Yes, sir. So, yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, uh, understanding, uh, I think, uh, again, I, not to be boastful, I think I know the game well, but there's obviously always room for improvement. I Again, I look back at year one, uh, back in 2020, my first year as a head coach here at Dort, uh, the things that I thought I knew that I actually had no clue what I was doing and the amount of progress I've made in the past four years, I think has been phenomenal. And, and yeah, like you said, the, the convention, I wasn't at this past, uh, this past convention, but I was at the year previous down in Kansas city. And again, just connecting and, and networking with different coaches that have been doing it for as long as I've been alive. I mean, there's coaches that have been, uh, that have been speaking at these conventions that have coached for 28, 30 years. And for me to be able to have an opportunity to connect with them and, and learn from them, uh, is, is extremely beneficial. And yeah, no, I'll never take for granted the opportunities. And, and yeah, the, the past three years is kind of at a whirlwind. I got my, my D license back in 2020 and then started getting my C fairly, uh, recently after that, I'll be getting my advanced national diploma here. Uh, I'm taking it down in Omaha come end of July. So uh, the coaching opportunities and the coaching education opportunities that are provided both on the USSF um, as well as the United Soccer Coaches, I'm really excited to, to continue to learn. And yeah, this is a career that I see myself in for the next 
30, 40 years, however long the Lord allows me to do it. Um, in coaching, again, uh, when I graduated college, not something that I probably thought I was going to get into. And then the, the graduate assistant position kind of just landed on my lap. And I was like, well, why wouldn't I do this? And uh, yeah, I've just absolutely loved it ever since. And, and I see myself doing this for, for a very long time. You are really passionate about what you do. And I was pleased to see that you did a video essay. You're hearing the words of Alex Durbin, 30 under 30 member, and also the current head women's coach at Dort University in Iowa, where Alex Durbin also attended. As part of your video essay, when asked what is the most important challenge you are facing on how do you and how do you work to overcome, you said, and I'll quote you, the biggest challenge you face is working at a small Christian university where you're not just a coach and responsible for coaching, you're responsible for fundraising, for scholarship and the team season, scouting, recruiting, practice plans, game plans, even ordering game day meals and transportation. And I like what you said here. You said to overcome this, you work hard with organizational tools, but you also rely on your assistants to help with these duties to have the most success. We take a lot of pride in United Soccer Coaches and helping assistant coaches because, quite frankly, Alex Durbin, not everybody can be a head coach. So tell us your assistant coaches and how important they are to you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting you bring that up as we're kind of going through a transitional period. Um, our head coach on the men's side actually resigned and the assistant coach that worked for me this past year uh, was uh, 100% uh, employed, but was 50% women's soccer, 50% men's soccer. So he constantly kind of fluctuated. He is now taking the head men's job. And we are currently in the process of hiring some individuals, uh, both as assistants. So we're able to, to split up some duties. So I'll actually have a, a, an individual here, hopefully sometime in July, that will be our head women's soccer, or excuse me, our assistant women's soccer coach, 100% and won't have to fluctuate between the men's and pro women's program, uh, which I'm, I'm really excited about. And, and the, again, the opportunities that I, I look back on in my own, my own life, being able to be a graduate assistant, I was a volunteer assistant in 2019, and the opportunities that those head coaches allowed me to have as an assistant coach of being able to run full practices, being able to sit down with the head coach, be able to plan out the practice, go through how we wanted to, to operate, what, what, what phase of the game are we focusing on, and then be able to execute that plan 110% solely on me. Uh, again, was really, really formative for, for me and just my development. And I think, again, creating those opportunities, even as a graduate assistant coach, we have a, a graduate assistant coach, uh, Stephen Wanninger, who's been in our program and trying to continue to allow him to have opportunities as, yes, our head women's JV coach, but also have uh, opportunities of being able to run varsity practices and connect with our varsity athletes as well. And, and really just getting your hands dirty is really the best way you can learn. And I'm a, I'm a very hands-on individual being able to try to just get in and get the work done. And if I don't allow our assistant coaches to have opportunities to, well, one, uh, be able to coach and be able to run practices, uh, to even the other behind the scenes stuff. Again, coaching at the college level, I'd say 10% of it is college coaching, uh, being able to actually be on the field and be able to instruct. The things that happen behind the scenes between recruiting, scholarshiping, uh, fundraising, uh, connecting with alumni, being able to uh, create a recruiting plan uh, for, yes, this year, but also two to three years down the road. There's a million of things that happen behind the scenes that I think, one, our college soccer players probably don't quite see, but allowing our, our, our assistant coaches to have a, a major hand in a lot of those pieces, I think is crucial because at the end of the day, like you said, 
I think a lot of assistant coaches would love to eventually get onto the to be a head coach and allowing them to have opportunities that actually are applicable um, that are going to transition them uh, well once they potentially have an opportunity to be on the head side, I think is important. Two more quick questions for Alex Durbin. This week's spotlight on the 30 under 30 and the current head women's coach at Dort University in Iowa. If you want to look that up, folks, it's spelled D-O-R-D-T. And because you're a women's coach and the Women's World Cup is coming up, I'm going to ask you who your favorite USA women's player is, who you think might be the difference maker for the USA if they're going to win back-to-back-to-back World Cups. I used to be a big Alex Morgan fan. I still am a big Alex Morgan fan. Um, I think, again, uh, seeing her career, I think it's been something that's uh, been really cool. But I also, uh, I'm also a big Julie Ertz fan. I think seeing her in the midfield, uh, I look at work rate and just work ethic, and I see her, and I'm like, man, if I could have a million Julie Ertz, <laughs> little Julie Ertz on our Dort women's soccer team that have her work rate intensity uh, and passion, uh, we would be a really, really good team. So I, I, I use her quite a bit um, in, in a lot of my conversations with our midfielders of like, how can we, how can we play? What things can you see in her? Can we start implementing? So I'd say her for sure. And, and yeah, I think it's been really cool over the past. I mean, what has it been now? Probably five to 10 years that, that women's soccer here in the States has really, really started to transition into being good to being great. Uh, what a cool opportunity for our college soccer athletes to not only just be able to look overseas and say, man, there's some really good soccer there. We have the best soccer on the women's side in the world here in the States and having our players have, uh, I, I pull up different clips of, of the national team here and there when I'm going through our team tactics meetings in an early preseason in August and I'll pull up clips and say, Hey, these are the things we want to try to implement. Um, and how can we continue to do it? So I think having uh, the best women's soccer here in the world, here in the States allows us a million opportunities to continue to develop our players on the college side. As a member of the 30 under 30 class, when you hear the words United soccer coaches, could you describe what those three words mean to you in just one or two sentences? In one or two sentences, I'm usually a man of lots of words. I'm not great at condensing things, but so I'll, I'll try. Um, United Soccer Coaches is an opportunity to continue to be able to network and grow with, with coaches around the world. And I think uh, the opportunities of, of this uh, 30 under 30 program, being able to connect with other individuals. Again, I mentioned I'm, I've only seen the NAI side. I've coached high school a little bit. But there's a I'm, I'm with 29 other individuals that have coached uh, high level division one. You just had Sammy Joe on the, the podcast, I believe, last week uh, coaching division one. We also have individuals who are more on the club side. And there's so many experiences and things that I don't see, don't get to uh, live out on a day to day basis. And the things that I can continue to learn and implement into our Dort women's soccer program here, um, I think is the part that's been really cool through the United Soccer Coaches and, and through the, the conventions. Obviously, I wasn't there this past year, but. Uh, the year previous in Kansas City, I was. I'm looking forward to Anaheim this this upcoming January. Again, the opportunities that you guys provide is 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 tremendous, and then being a part of this 30 under 30 is something that I'll I'll never forget, and I'll I'll be forever grateful for. So finally, Alex Durbin, as the head coach at Dort University, a Christian university, is there a scripture you try to live by? Yeah, uh, so our defender way um, is is rooted out of Romans 12.1, which it says, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice that's holy and acceptable to God. And again, uh, our bodies are, are, are a form of worship through soccer, through engineering, through uh, being a nurse, through uh, going through business school here at Dort. How can we use our bodies to glorify God, I, I think, is the way that we, we, we try to live it out on a day-to-day -day basis. Well done, Alex Durbin. Great visit.
30 Under 30 member, another superstar. Thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. I appreciate it, Dean. I want to thank Alex. I want to thank all of our amazing guests. I also want to thank Bailey Conklin, Brandon Milburn, Sarah Wilbur, who hooked us up with Alex Urban. I also want to thank our producer, Colin Thrash, for each and every one of them. And all of you, I'm Dean Linky. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about League Apps, find them at leagueapps.com or as League Apps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.